right, welcome back to the big program. Eight o'clock in Edmonton, looking at a high of plus three today. What just amazing weather for mid-December as we welcome in our co-host on Mondays, Lorianne Munzer. Good morning, Lorianne. Good morning, Kevin. How was your weekend? Oh, it was fantastic. The weather is absolutely crazy. I felt like I needed to get my ice skates out. Uh, Well, or you could just take your bike out. Yeah. No. We did that. Oh, (laughs) that's not surprising, but normally you'd be on the uh, spin thing, right? Yeah, we do that uh, Saturday mornings, Tuesday, Thursday nights, fat biking on Sundays. Exciting. Very exciting. Uh, Time now for On The Mark, powered by Booster Juice. Visit a location today to refuel, refresh, and re-energize or download the new Booster Juice Rewards app to earn, order, and enjoy as we welcome in Mark Spector to the big program. Good morning, Spec. Good morning. I'm kind of missing the snow here. Like yeah. it's, we're living northern Alberta. There's supposed to be snow here. I'm kind of, it's kind of weird. I think. Never mind. How how are your fingers doing after a tough pierogi making weekend? Oh no problem, no problem. We we cheat a little bit. We use the uh, it's a guy by the name <laughs> of uh, Hunky Bill. You ever seen one of those wheels that pumps out about twenty four of them? Yeah. So we're not hand making each one anymore. You're that's not pinching. The, uh, Come on, that's for the old bubbas. <laughs> but uh, full day in the kitchen, made about 600 progies on the weekend. Wow! I stayed up and made a whole bunch of cabbage rolls, so we're ready for Christmas. What's folks. going on? How many people are coming <laughs> to the Specs place for Christmas? I've got a good house. Got a good house. I think we'll be about uh, for Christmas dinner. We're going to be uh, not that many, maybe 11 oh. or so. That's not too bad. So uh, Lori- a whole bunch on Boxing Day too. Wow. Uh, Lorianne, do you make pierogies? No, I've only made them once oh. with a friend. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So are these all uh, potato spec? Yeah, all potato. Didn't do any uh, sour yeah. cabbage or any of that. Uh, just straight potato, cheese potato. Best kind, baby. Thorsby's finest, my friend. <laughs> Thorsby's finest. What about, uh, <laughs> have you ever da- uh, done prune pierogies? No, I've tasted them. We've yeah. never done them. Okay. Don't you have to be like over 70 to want prune pierogies? <laughs> well, oh, no. I, I think you can be whatever age you like, but they're more of a dessert pierogi. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you sent me three pictures uh, on the weekend. They were it looked like you guys kind of knew what you were doing. Oh, yeah. Shalka knows what she's doing. My wife grew up on a farm near Thorsby, Alberta. And, uh, oh, yeah, they, <laughs> that pierogi's... Uh, She's got the system down, man. She makes a good progy. I'm just the labor. That's all I am. I'm the labor. Yeah. I help the process to go a little bit faster, and I get paid in pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a solid weekend. Uh, unlike the Oilers on Saturday night, what did you make of that game against Florida? Uh, they, they're a team that was on a long winning streak that just ran out. You know, they they got goalied against uh, Tampa. They d- didn't play that badly. Uh, they didn't really, you know, whatever. They finally, all the breaks they got, they didn't get against Tampa. And then they went out against Florida, and they were just, uh, as Todd McCullough used to say, red rotten. <laughs> you know, anyone thinking that's a goalie issue, those first three goals had nothing to do with a goalie. And uh, you lost, you know, you end up scoring one all night. So that first period, the end of the first period where they imploded defensively, settled that game. They didn't deserve to win. They didn't play very well. They need to get in the road. They've been home for a long time. It's time to go out in the road and start a new streak. Mm-hmm. So what do you make, Spec, here about, you know, you said they imploded defensively. What, what do they need to do? Well, it's like it's a... 
you know what? It's a it's a mental completely a mental thing, and they just showed you for. Oh, I think we might have lost Speck. We'll uh, have to fire it up again and get Speck back on the line. So uh, what do they need to do defensively? Well, again, they played very well against, uh, you know, Tampa Bay. Ended up on the wrong end of that game. Uh, Speck, you got us back now? I got you back. Yeah. All right, perfect. Yeah, so just kind of continue on. Lorianne was just kind of saying about defensively and maybe this. Do you think it's just, just, just a one-off against Florida or what? Well, I think they just show you for seven games or eight games they can play defensive hockey. I think they had four to five games they allowed one goal. So yes, it's it's you know, but it's like in anything you do well, it takes you got to do it well every time. Just because you had a good race, Lorianne, on Tuesday, if you just show up at the track on Wednesday and think it's just going to happen again all by itself, it doesn't work that way. It's preparation. It's focus. It's it's the little things. It's the details, and and it's a long season. You don't lay down the same game every night. And the Oilers showed you what it looks like when they're kind of half, you know what it about it uh, against Florida. If you don't focus on the little things, that's what happens. You lose a hockey game. So are they getting tired then? Is that a component of it? Or well, is it more the mental game like you were talking about? And what, what do you we've think, about? I, I don't think they're tired. I, it's, it's too early. They've had a great schedule. Great schedule. So I don't think they're tired. No, but there's a there's a sameness in the game when you're home for six days, games in a row. Yeah, you know the, one of the things about hockey that changes is you you go out in the road, you're in a new building, you're in a new town. It gives you a little energy. When you stay at home for a long time, there uh, uh, I don't know what it is that sets in, but we've watched it for 35 years here. Mm-hmm. By the end of the home streak, everyone's agreed we got to get out in the road and get a fresh arena get a fresh practice, get a fresh everything. And that's where they were. They got a little stale. And I think everyone knows in their job, whatever they do, right? Sometimes you get a little stale and you got to give yourself a kick in the rear end and get out of it. And that's exactly what happens now when you go on the road for, you know, for a week, technically, you're, you're, you know, yeah. you're gone for five days here, but th- th- this is what the, the team needs. And, and no one can explain that. Why, if you have a six five, six-game homestand, at the end of it, you get stale, as you said. If you're on the road for a week or two, at the end of it, you get you go, oh, we got to get, get back home. But if you know yeah. that, why wouldn't you mitigate it? <laughs> because that's human nature. I know, but we know this, and yet we keep doing it again and again and again. Well, I yeah. think... But maybe there is no answer. It's The other one is when you go on a long road trip and you're a Western team, you come home, your first game at home, you're always not very good, mm-hmm. right? Because A, you're tired from a long road trip. And then you come home and the family's waiting for you and the kids are there. And your wife says, okay, do this and do that. And when you come home for the first game, whether you're Calgary, whether you're Edmonton, whether you're Vancouver, you're not very good. It's mm-hmm. been going on for 40-some years. If there was a, They all have team psychologists, Lorianne. They all have sleep doctors. They all have all that stuff. And no one can solve the problem. Maybe it's an unsolvable problem. Did you think, Speck, and we talked about it on Friday because we were, you know, we they, discussing Stu Skinner and he let the two stinkers in against Tampa Bay in the third period. And we said, well, should he go back to Skinner on Saturday night? Or, yep. is it, you know, what did you make of the, the goaltending decision to start Cal Pickard by Chris Knobloch? I, I think that 
what he's telling you is, I don't need to prove to Stu Skinner that he's our guy. I don't need to say, hey, you fell on your sword after that game, and we're, we believe in you, so I'm going to show everybody that by playing you. If this was a schedule they set out, they set it out for the right reasons, I'm sure, mm-hmm. and that's I have absolutely no problem with it. They don't owe Skinner some level of loyalty to change the schedule because he let in a couple goals, right? And as it turns out, I think hindsight being 2020, Skinner wasn't saving that game. He wasn't winning that game either. So if they're going to, you know, now that we know the Oilers are going to put out a very poor defensive effort, I'd rather have the, the backup in there suffering through that as Skinner comes back fresh behind hopefully a much more attentive team uh, tomorrow night on the island. I think I think so too. Talk about uh, yesterday's practice where they mixed up the forward lines. They're switching out R and H and then bringing in Kane. Can you talk about those changes and, mm-hmm. and what do you think we're going to see tomorrow? Well, it got stale again. Like you know what, hockey teams there's a lot of moving parts, right? And yeah, that first line was killer, and their fourth line's been great. But the middle two lines they've been kind of not so awesome. You never get all four lines going, you know. It just doesn't work that way. So, yeah, Leon Drysaddle's line hasn't been very good. Drysaddle's been a little frustrated. I'm not sure, Kev, if Kane and Drysaddle have any chemistry. I'm really not sure about that. Um, and the third line was kind of getting nothing done. Ryan McLeod's still in a, you know, yeah. absolute struggle. So uh, that's called coaching your team. Right, Chris Knobloch can see what we see, and he's doing his best to get everybody going. And it's, I think, it's smart. You can't just keep going with the same lineup when half your forwards aren't getting anything done. Is that fair, Kev? Yeah, uh, Mark Spector with us, Sports fourteen forty. I think it's fair, very fair, spec. But I, I look at Connor Brown right now and go, "What are they going to do with this guy?" I mean, we're waiting and waiting and waiting, but nothing's happening. Yeah. They're waiting and waiting and nothing's happening, right? He's figured out how to be a fairly valuable penalty killer, mm-hmm. but that's not what you're paying him four million bucks for. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're waiting for him. That's and you know what? You're waiting for a couple guys here. Um, I guess I'd say to you that that I don't know what to tell you. I'm I'm still in the it takes most of a half a season for a guy to come back from the injury. I'm still in that camp. I'm far more worried about Ryan McLeod, who's younger and healthy and and absolutely laying an egg this season, right? He doesn't have a, I missed last season and I blew out my ACL to fall back on, and he's no better than Connor Brown. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a little starting to, the, the, talk, the clock's ticking on Connor Brown, but the clock's expired on Ryan McLeod here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm here to tell you. Yeah, what about, what about Dylan Holloway? How close is he uh, to returning, and how... How long are we going to have to wait for him to get up to speed, I guess, too? Well, yeah. He did not practice yesterday, correct? Yeah, correct. So I don't even know if he's going on the road with him today. Yeah, I, you know, I don't see needs... him Yeah, I don't see him back till after Christmas at all, right? No, so. not now. Not now. So what he needs is, like, hopefully they can get him on the road practicing with the team for this trip and then play him after Christmas. But I have no evidence that tells me I've, it's 8 in the morning. I haven't figured it out mm-hmm. yet if he's going on the roll with him today. Um, but he needs a week of practice at least before he's playing for anybody. And bringing him back in, that's an option. Now guys are going to have to earn their spot. Like that's the, the beauty of having another good player coming in is now you can't just – 
no one's handing you anything. You got to keep your spot on this team, and that always makes you a better team. I think that raises the level uh, for everybody. If talking about Stonehouse and Fanti, what do you think about their returns? Wait a second, Stonehouse and Fanti on the farm? Are they going to be? I'm lost here too. Yeah, I, I had read something that they were they were on the injured list. Oh, those guys are injured uh, on the farm. Yep, they're farm guys. Okay, they're not playing here. Okay. Either of them. Yep. Okay. Sorry, that one that one went over my head too, Lorianne. <laughs> <laughs> that was the acid test for Monday morning. Cool, you guys yeah. passed. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what do you make uh, uh, just quickly quickly around the league spec? Just we're talking about Ottawa a little earlier with uh, Titch. Wow. I mean. Talk about waiting. How long are you going to wait for things to turn around there? Boy, oh boy. Yeah, I think that I, I don't know how DJ Smith hangs on there, <laughs> right? I don't know how he hangs on there as the head coach of that team. Uh, that's, uh, I think, the new ownership and Steve Steos coming in. I think you're we're very close to seeing uh, some turnover for sure in the front office there. I I'm tired of waiting for Ottawa. You know, they've been mm-hmm. bad for a long time. They got a nice core, we'd all agree. They got some good players and Stutzla and and uh Kachuk and a uh, bunch of guys there. I mean you can go through the list, but uh Shabbat and all these guys. But I'll tell you, how long are you gonna wait, right? If if DJ Smith is still in there and he still can't get these guys winning and I keep hearing, gee, we deserve better, gee, we deserve better. I'm tired of hearing that mm-hmm. on Ottawa for sure, Kev. Do you think that um I mean Stevie Steos is sort of I guess he's kind of feeling things out still, but I would have thought he would have made a decision by now on DJ Smith. Well, you'd think, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not real close to it, but um uh, I would say to you that that I would I would want to know how was the relationship between Steve uh, Steos and Jay Woodcroft. Yeah, you know Woody would probably be a really good guy for that team because they're mm-hmm. young, but they're they're experienced. Like they're through the first phase there. It's time for them to start winning, and uh, that could be a landing spot for Jay Woodcroft, I would think. But something's got to happen. They got to take the next step. They're stalled, right? They're yeah. stalled at. At we got a bunch of good young players, but we can't figure out how to win. They're stalled at that point. Somebody's got to get them over the top. And from where I'm sitting, the coach that's been there for a few years, he's stalled too. Mm-hmm. Uh, text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. This is for Spec, and I'm, well, it's got to be for Shelkin more. Kevin Blueberry Pierogies <laughs> to die for. That comes from Jumping Jack Flash. <laughs> Blueberry pierogies. So I would imagine when you're cooking those ones, though, you want to have a little crisp on it, so you'd boil them and then just a little quick fry, a flash fry in yeah. the pan, I would think. Yeah, so. we boil, Shelka, we boil ours, so when we give them to you, you just fry them. Right. That's it. Pull them out of the freezer, put them in the pan, and they're ready to go. So blueberry pancakes, I'm not a big guy on mixing dessert with supper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got like, you. <laughs> like that's kind of dessert supper, isn't it? Well, that's what, I mean, that's what the prune pierogies are as well, Spec, right? That's more of a dessert dessert, dessert pierogi. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are making me hungry oh. this morning. <laughs> dessert pierogies. <laughs> it's like port. It's like dessert wine. I can't stand port. I got a bottle of port sitting in my liquor cabinet for probably 14 years <laughs> i well, think we'll open it one day well i never open that stupid bottle of port i hate port 
<laughs> oh, Speck. Thanks for this, buddy. We'll uh, talk to you tomorrow. See you, bud. All right. See you uh, later. That's uh, On the Mark, energized by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need at Booster Juice. Nothing wrong with a little port every little now port and then. Port is good. Well, thinking, why, why not pairing that up with the prune pierogies? Yeah, would you know you could probably make a nice little sauce on there too oh. if you reduce the port. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could make port pierogies. <laughs> uh, when we come back, Neville Wright, Canadian Olympic bobsledder, will be our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with our co-host Lorianne Munzer. Uh, that's coming up right after the break on Sports fourteen forty. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Reuter. They are sports fans like all of our listeners and are pumped that Sports Talk Radio is back. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to mrreuter.ca as we welcome in Neville Wright to the program. Good morning, Neville. You're with Kevin Carius, Loria, and Munzer. Welcome to Sports 1440. Morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. And I mean, just a wonderful uh, Olympic career and world-class career. Uh, But when you were at U of A and in track, what made you make the switch to get into bobsledding, I guess? That's the biggest biggest question that I have for you this morning, Neville. Um, Well, going into the uh, the summer Olympic year, I actually got injured and then I got really sick and then my coach was actually working with like uh, the bobsleigh team as well too, as a speed and strength and uh, start coach. And then um, the opportunity came around after missing those uh, that Olympic opportunity in the summer in track and field. So then um, went out and I tried it out, did a push camp, made the team. I believe is the the October of two thousand nine, and then went to the games that February. Hmm. Yeah, just fascinating. And connecting with Pierre Luter, so four-man bobsleigh, your first Olympics, a year after trying out, or maybe less than a year. Tell us and walk us through what was that like? First Olympics, Vancouver, 2010. I mean, I think the whole the whole thing was just new to me. I mean, going from a summer sport to a winter sport, and then um, the, the training, the atmosphere. But I think, uh, you know, the being in a team environment really helped. And then, uh, yeah, the opportunity of going to my first Olympics, I mean, in Canada was uh, amazing. Sometimes it's hard to put words to it Mm. of that experience to be on home soil, to be able to compete in front of friends and and family and and, and the fans. Neville Wright, our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, What was it like to kind of get taken in by Pierre Luders and such a veteran kind of presence and, uh, you know, the wealth of experience, but just uh, working with Pierre there? Um, you know what? I think um, you know. I think our perspective to performance would is pro- was probably a bit different um, in our approach. However, um, the one thing I think that uh, you know we had in common for sure was that we both love to compete and we're competitors. And I think um, that's what you know helped uh, um, our team. I think was just being able to come together as competitors and go after that goal of trying to to, to medal at the games. Did you have to, I, I don't know if bulk up is the right word here, but your training, I guess, because when you were a sprinter for, you know, the 4 by 100 relay team, I would imagine you were a little bit leaner than when you kind of ended up doing the bobsleigh? Actually, you know what? Um, in track and field, I was actually considered one of the bigger sprinters. So um, my best years in track and field, I was about 206 to 208 pounds. Mm-hmm. And when I went over to bobsledding, um, 
by, by my first Olympics, I was probably about 214. So um, I did put some size on, but I was already uh, a, a bigger guy in, in my sport. So it wasn't that, that um, hard of a transition. Nice. And you said you've, you come from like a, a speed sprint background. So you do a lot of coaching there. Converting that to bobsleigh, I think you were at the back end of the team. Tell, tell us about the different positioning because there's four men. And yeah. what is the role of each of the, the team there? So in four men, you have uh, the pilot who's uh, in the very front and he does all the, the steering, the driving down the track. On the sides, you have um, the crewmen, so uh, left side, right side, which they help uh, get the sled going and then obviously added weight to the sled. And then my position was the brakeman. So uh, my role was, you know, getting the set sled up, set up so that we can all, um, you know, contribute to the, to the push, uh, waiting for everyone to get in. And as everyone's set, I yelled down. We get into position. I pull in their push bars from the side then hang on for the ride. And then at the very end, um, I pull the brakes uh, at the braking stretch. So there's no braking in the track until like uh, we cross the finishing line. Hmm. What kind of top speeds do you hit? Because this isn't a slow sport. This is a fast sport. And obviously your yeah. lines with the pilot, the driver. And what kind of speeds do you hit? Well, um, so Whistler is the fastest track in the world. Um, the sled I've been in, fast as I've been is uh, I've grown 153, 154 mm-hmm. kilometers per hour. So yeah, it gets pretty, pretty, pretty quick in there. Neville Wright is our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, Neville, when you were in the Vancouver Olympics, what did that mean to you being in the Olympics, you know, on Canadian soil and partaking in, you know, being in your home country? Um, well, I think there's a, a few things it meant to me was, um, one where, you know, at a young age, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics. I didn't know it was going to be in bobsledding. I thought I was going to be track and field. But um, it was something where I was able to prove to myself that I was able to to succeed and do this. Um, it also meant a lot to me for, you know, uh, those that were around me, family, friends, uh, younger youth, um, whether it be family or ones that I've mentored that looked up to me and um, to kind of to, to be that example. So, um that was uh, really important to me, that, or that stuck out to me. That's huge. That's huge. Now, you were talking about switching from a summer sport to a winter sport. What kind of changes mentally did you have to switch and convert to going, you know, into a sleigh? Well, first of all, I hate being in the cold. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stand being in the cold. So I was, like, sometimes looking like the, the Michelin man, like uh, – I'd have so many layers on just to keep, I mean, I, I wore a lot of layers in track and field. So bobsledding was even more so. So I think it was just getting used to one, uh, being able to warm up and compete at your best in the cold. And I mean, there's days where like, you know, you're looking at like minus 30 to almost minus uh, 40 degrees. And then, um, you know, um, trusting that I was able to sprint on ice. And once I figured that out, I was good. And then, also, too, like, you know, riding in the sled is not always the the most comfortable ride. So get, getting used to kind of getting knocked around a bit, but still getting up and, and doing another an, another um, eat after your first one. So, like, um, yeah, it, it can take a toll on the body, but eventually uh, we call it like bobsleigh tough. You, you build, like, a thick skin and, and tolerance. Uh, and, I mean, you got to stay warm, right? You know, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally. Well, one thing is we have a connection with Pierre Luders. Um, I was actually in the ice house and I pushed uh, the sled, which mm-hmm. is no small feat. It's a little crazier than, than what I think everybody has a picture of. So when how do you convert being in the ice house with a sled? So there's a bit of a hill and you can stack weights onto the sled to simulate the push, the start. How do you convert that to when you see the track at COP, Canada Olympic Park, is you have a really small area. How do you convert that to actual race time, practice time, being on the track? So um, as brakemen, so like um, our our biggest role is to try and get the fastest start as possible. So um, um, we work on, you know, our technique, timing, timing. our distancing as well too because i mean having speed and velocity are are major factors where races can be won or lost by that so uh with all that practice that we do so then when we're ready to take it i mean it's a bit faster when you get onto the actual track Mm -hmm. but you know with so much repetition and um working on our our chemistry and um our cohesion um by the time we're ready to get on ice it's it's pretty um seamless Hmm. Neville Wright, our guest on Sports 1440. Kevin Carius, Lorianne Munzer. Uh, beautiful day, 8.30 in Edmonton, looking at a high of plus three today. Uh, Neville, when when you were on the World Cup circuit and traveling around the world, what were some of your favorite stops, favorite uh, places that you competed in and uh, and enjoyed your time, I guess, representing our country? I, I would say uh, one of the best places uh, for me was... Um, we would go to St. Moritz, Switzerland, which was really nice. Um, it's a man-made track there. So for me, it was like the, the easiest track on the, on my body. So it didn't hurt a lot when I'd go down. But um, it was always nice to kind of drive up into the, the mountains and the switchbacks to, um, you know, see all that scenery. So I would say that would be one of the places. Another place was in uh, Königsee, uh, Germany, where... Um, more so is more so about where we would stay. It was always nice to stay at, um, you know, this pretty nice hotel where it's pretty relaxing. You can get some good recovery in and good training. So I would say those would be my two main places. Mm, cool places, no question. Um, what's keeping you busy now, Neville? So um, I'm still, so I've always talked about my, my big three, which is uh, coaching, therapy, and speaking. So I'm still doing all, all three of those. So um I um, treat right now, um, my business is right performance and therapy. So I treat as a performance therapist. And I also do work actually with uh, Team Canada Soccer, the the men's team. So I've been doing that for about uh, a year and a half now. And then um, coaching athletes, focusing mainly on speed and acceleration coaching. So helping with that development. And then, uh, yeah, public, tons of public speaking, corporate schools all over the place. So do you do you get to work with uh, Alfonso Davies a little bit then? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually with the team. I went to the World Cup actually in two thousand two, mm-hmm. two thousand two uh, World Cup in Qatar with the the team. So um, been doing work with um, all all the athletes. What's Alfonso like to work with? You know what? I mean, all the all the athletes there, like him included, like. Very all respectful athletes, like you know, professionals, like um, great atmosphere, um, and, and working with them. Um, everyone's about you know high performance, um, good culture. So uh, it's been an amazing experience, like working with all of them. Mm. 
Question for you. When you're talking about working with other athletes now, you're on the other side. You're supporting, you're helping versus being the athlete. Talk about that transition, Neville, for us. How has that been for you? And, you know, what's coming up? I know you're with the team. How long are you going to be with the team? What's the vision? Um, so uh, for that first question, so, I mean, it's been really amazing actually now to be on the other side of, you know, um, I, I I received support and would look for support in my, my training, nutrition, my recovery. And now to be on the other side, I think it's amazing. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with um, athletes now, like a uh, national team. I had my first athlete uh, make her first Olympics uh, in, for 2022, which was, um, you know, um, pretty amazing for me to, to see that. But um, I've, I feel that uh, all the experiences and knowledge and everything that I've, I've, you know, gained over the years, um, I find it's very important for me to be able to share that with um, this next generation of athletes. So it's pretty rewarding to be able to, to do that. So, and then currently right now, like, yeah, I'm still with the team and the goal is to work towards uh, the next world cup, which is 2026. Um, obviously there's a process of building towards that. So like, um, you know, working with the athletes there, but um, yeah, that's the, the current goal right now. Nice. Former Canadian Olympic bobsledder Neville Wright's our guest uh, on Sports 1440. Uh, how would you assess the state of uh, Canadian bobsled right now, Neville? And, and is this a, would you say it's kind of a transition period? Uh, who would you say that the uh, the up and comers would be to represent our our country again uh, for the Olympics uh, uh, coming up here? It's definitely a transition. Um, you know, they've lost. Uh, a lot of the the veterans that were there so i mean it's uh rebuilding um a lot of change uh you know they're obviously working towards a a more of a positive change so there's always new athletes coming out um you know we have some vets that are still there um in regards to like pilots so yeah you know cynthia appia and um melissa lotholz um who are veterans are there and then there's um you know uh, another athlete uh, Ribby, that's also competing. So there's a few athletes that are still coming up, but I think it's still building. So it's just you know going through the the process of um, of that. So um, it is taking some time, but um, I think they'll get there. Stronger on the men's or women's side? I would say currently, right now, um, the women's side is more stronger. Uh, we, we they did lose a lot of uh, the men. Um, uh, from the men's side. So that's definitely going to be um, a, a building process. But I feel that, um, you know, as you get closer, it always happens where you get certain, like more athletes coming out that um, are, are very good, that end up being really good, uh, really powerful, really strong, fast. And then hopefully that also motivates those that are currently there to really push themselves to get to the next level as well. Well, Lorianne has uh, uh, some rapid-fire questions for you, Neville, here, so she's going to kind of take it away here, and uh, let's uh, let's see your interesting responses. How's that sound? Love All it. right. So, favorite Olympic moment? Uh, opening ceremonies of uh, the 2010 Olympic Games. Mm. Nice. And the quickest you've ever gone, fastest time in an event, a race, what would that have been? Uh, so I would say uh, Whistler, um, probably, I can't remember what year, but uh, it was about 153 kilometers um, uh, down the Whistler track in the format. Well, I can't even imagine that in a car, let alone in a bobsleigh. 
Um, I hold on pretty tight. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who was instrumental in your life when you got into sport? Oh, man, instrumental. Ooh, that's a hard one. I know, um, I think um, I was an older athlete and um, seeing um, Donovan Bailey, I think as an older athlete, um, you know, um, a- accomplishing certain feats, I think that was very um, motivating for me. So um, I would say, yeah, probably, probably Donovan Bailey. Nice. Because you were, I think, 37 uh, in 2018 at uh, the last Olympics. Do I have that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Your favorite training moment? My favorite training moment? Um, I pride myself of uh, being a really good uh, box jumper. So um, uh, anytime I was flying, my best box jump is uh, 68 inches, my lifetime best. And um, I pride myself on that. 68. 68 inches. Yes. Holy smokes. <laughs> That's Fast taller than the up. Duke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think I, I enjoy doing that. And I mean, um, so once I'm able to get, you know, get up pretty high, I know that I'm, um, I'm firing on all on cylinders. No kidding. That's hmm. powerful. Holy cow. Last question. One message you'd love to share with our listeners. Uh, one message. I think um, take every experience and opportunity as a learning as a learning opportunity to, to grow and develop. And um, the experiences that we do have aren't meant for us to keep to ourselves, but to share with others. Oh, good stuff. Perfect. Who, who helped you at the uh, University of Alberta, Neville? Uh, Quinn Sekulich. So um, he was my, he he saw the potential from, you know, a while back. And, you know, he, cre- he actually, as my, me as a coach right now and a therapist and so forth, he helped cultivate and create that environment for me to learn and develop. So, I mean, I always have to give big shout outs to him. Um, he really helped take my career off. Any chance you could, uh, you'd maybe want to go into one of Lorianne's spin cycle classes? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> whenever you're ready, let me know. I'm down for challenges and stuff like that. So I came into one uh, before um, I tried out one with her, but um, oh, boy. it wasn't the full one. But yeah, I'm I'm down for it. <laughs> well, he Lauren, did really good. Yeah. He did really good. We were we were focusing on short power sprints. Oh really? And he was just like right over the top. That's yep. uh, I I want to see this, and the Duke's going to go in it with you, Neville, if that's okay. All right, I'm down for it. Let me know. <laughs> we'll get the tandem. Oh, Love it. Thanks man. so much, Neville. Th- thanks for coming on, Neville. This was a great conversation. Uh, continued success, uh, and uh, have a great holiday season. Thanks for this. No problem. Thank you for having me. You as well. Thanks, Neville. That's Neville Wright, Canadian Olympic bobsledder and our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. There's a reason they call him Mr. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrreuter.ca. So when was this? When did he go on your Oh, my goodness. This was I just before COVID. So oh, this would okay. have been February, January, February of 2019. Can't imagine. He's we got him on a bike and in spandex, and he rocked. He powered the building. We were actually at United Cycle. Oh, really? Yeah. Can't imagine uh, that he's so, like his power must be oh. just off the charts. I was expecting to see the frame of the bicycle absolutely twisted. Just the power outputage of this man is yeah. phenomenal. So... I, the other thing I would love to see him on, you know, when I always think of powerful athletes on with cycling is the VO2 machine, like the, the Vomax, because mm-hmm. he would probably just obliterate that as well. Well, it's really interesting because I thought the same thing too. Okay. Sprinting athletes is totally different than doing the VO2 max. The VO2 max is more endurance at a higher intensity. Sprinters will go 
so much more power outputage, but it doesn't last as long. I've done only one in my life, and I will never do another the one v- again. The, the Max? The VO2 Max. No, I so will what, never do it again. Why? Uh, spots and dots and things got really dark and it was the ugliest experience I have ever had. Like I, I would rather go and ride Highwood Pass, hmm. 100 miles, 100K and never ever have to do a VO2 so max. So spots test. and dots, so you were just, <gasps> ma- I guess, maxed out, right? Or yeah, what? because the thing is you go so hard, so quick, so fast right at the start, but the problem is you have to maintain it and you should not let your speed drop, your power drop. You want to maintain it. And the lactic acid buildup, the just, it's impossible to hold it for a minute. And again, is this, I mean, every athlete is different, obviously, right? So some are better at this yes. challenge, I guess you could call it. Clara Hughes would be phenomenal. Katrina. Because of their makeup and, or what, like, I mean... I think it's part of part of your muscle, how, how you're physically, physiologically made up of. There's what? fast twitch. And I was just going to say the fast. Tw- what, so, if th- are you saying that uh, this to be successful at this would be fast twitch, or what, or no, the other way? I don't know. Is it like nearsighted and farsightedness? It's like sprinters. You you have that explosiveness. Yeah. The endurance athletes, like if you look at the Tour de France riders, they. Oh my gosh, they can hold the intensity like Clara Hughes and just keep it going forever and ever and ever. They're like a diesel engine mm-hmm. versus the high octane fuel in a, a speed car, right? You're just going straight down the line. And as a sprinter, you don't want to do those <laughs> VO2 maxes, not if you can help it. But so the VO2 max, isn't it, you're looking for both, aren't you? Yes, you are. Yeah. And if you're, well, for me, being a sprinter, I don't have that longevity. I, I've got one massive output. I could light up all of West Edmonton Mall. I could light it up. For 40 seconds. <laughs> oh, probably maybe 30 or something like that. But it's not going to keep the lights on all the time. That's the problem. So it's just understanding your body. You can build the endurance as a sprinter. Mm-hmm. It's harder as an endurance athlete to build in those sprinting fast twitch so it is fast twitch did you again so your olympic event you said 37 seconds ballpark for the 500 meter okay yes and that's all out the men do a kilometer yeah so okay from let's just say if it's 37 seconds could you feel yourself at 34 seconds oh god your peak going down oh it was even before then you can you can feel it at about i don't know if you can get to the 20 second mark, you're doing really good and you got to keep maintaining it. So mm-hmm. all of your training is focused on how can I maintain that peak, peak, peak wattage output. It's funny when I was uh, lucky enough to do Euler games uh, on 630 Chad when I was doing color, I did a lot of games were in Nashville because at the time Nashville was a bad team and no one wanted to do the game. So that's why they were on a pay-per-view or whatever. And uh, the fans, when when you did the games in Nashville, you were in, right near the fans. Yes. And at this, this was when the Predators were just coming into the league. So no one really knew much about hockey there. And I had several fans ask me, why are the players going off the ice? So, uh, you know, in, in yeah. after 45 seconds. Yeah. I, well, because they're gassed. Yep. Yeah. You know, 
And that's why. Yeah. Is because you can only maintain it. Like if you're going full on from one end end of the ice to the other or Mm -hmm. even halfway down and you want to be the first guy there, it's there's only so much in the tank. And how well have you developed it in the off season? I mean, that's why Mm -hmm. off season training is so important. You have to have a break and then you build to rebuild that next level or two levels if, if it's at all possible. We'll continue this conversation when we come back. Time for a quick break. Kevin Carius, Laurie Ann Munzer on Sports 1440. Stay with us. First round. And the Duke comes through with Laurie Ann's favorite song on a Monday. I love it. This is awesome. Now, do the, uh, do the Bangles have a Christmas song? I don't remember them ever coming out with one. Oh, that could be the Duke's Assignment. next big thing here. Ooh. Do the know. Bangles have a Christmas song? Wow. That's a good question. There's no way they do. There's so many, so many good Christmas songs there, but I don't think I've, I've ever heard them with one. Um, back to our conversation. So then, so when you were training in uh, not peak, uh, your peak t- time of training, mm-hmm. um, would you call that like, say, let's pretend it was the Olympics. So would you say unpeak would be the year before or how, how many months prior or what? Hmm. Um, the year before the Olympics in 03 was awful. Um, but for, for training? Yeah, it wasn't a very good season at all. So back in October is typically when the off season is. So that's when you take some time off and then you come back in mm-hmm. and you set up for the whole, the remainder of the year. So there's off season, there's the competition season, and then there's peak. So you can only have one peak in a year. My coach had told me I was going to have two. One was for the world championships at the end of May, and then the Olympics in August. Well, the thing that I found out afterwards is May at Worlds was the preparation that was going to lead me to the Olympics, because you can only have one true, true, true peak in an entire year in sports. So, uh, I mean, this is for you, for cycling or whatever you want to call it, maybe Neville for the Olympics, whatever, but... For like an NHL team, it's got to be different. How do you convert it? Absolutely. And that I would call pacing because you've got how many games in a season? Yeah, 82. 82. So then how is that paced out and set and planned when you look at it, you know, logically in a calendar? Well, for one thing, like, okay, some teams in the NHL will do 10-game segments. Mm-hmm. Chris Knobloch believes in eight-game segments. Yeah. So he would, I mean, they had an eight-game winning streak in an eight-game segment. I don't, you know, you can't get much better than that. Yeah. But right now, I'm not exactly sure when the, where, where it breaks down. But so now you've lost two in a row. What does it mean? Take, take me through 10-game, okay. ten, ten game, well, eight-game segments. Well, some teams believe that if they break down the season in 10-game segments, okay. let's just say you can go 6-3-1, yes. uh, and one, okay? If you're 6-3-1 in, in a 10-game segment, you should make the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? Because in you're going to get 48 wins. Mm-hmm. Now, again, when you set goals like that, I always think it's everything's just fine when you're going well. But you still need to have, if things are going poorly, now you need to make an adjustment yep. to your goal setting. Yeah. So I always kind of go, oh, it, I get a little leery if someone, okay, well, we've 
got an eight-game segment. We've played six games. We're three and three mm-hmm. right now. But we want to be five and three. Well, you know, you got to make your adjustments as you move on. Yep. You know. What is the goal of the eight game or the 10 game I think segments? it's just preference for a coach, preference for a team, whatever they believe. Some some people even make it shorter. Yeah. They can do a six gamer or whatever. Yeah. But I really believe that even if you do have an eight game goal segment, mm-hmm. At times, you might make adjustments within that segment. Oh, you always have to. When when you said 10-game segments, 8-game segments, Mm -hmm. it brought me back to thinking in training, we work with macro cycles and micro cycles. So a macro cycle could be a six-week period or an eight-week period. Typically, we worked with a Mm six-week period. And then within one macro, the big cycle, we had six weeks, if it was a six-week chunk. And it makes it a lot easier, Kevin, when we were training in terms of breaking it down into different components, different areas to work with. Now, I don't know if that's the same thing Mm. with the hockey world, because I'm not as familiar with that. But when you look at it like that, because you can't just go, oh, okay, rush to the Stanley Cup. We're going to do this. You have to break it into components. And when you look at it, it's the same as in business. You look at your yearly goals, break them down into quarter, monthly, weekly and then daily goals too, right? Some of the departments are going to have the daily ones. Even in athletics, you still have or should have daily goals. Like why are we on the ice? Why are we doing dryland training? Why is this a rest day? Where does the video play into it? Where does the mental preparation, where does the rehab? So there's so many different components into it. That's Jay Woodcroft had that whatever the day is, make it your best day. Like if it's a rest and recovery day, make it a good day where you are taking care of yourself. But mm-hmm. if you have a game, make it your best practice, things like that. Same thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we come back, top of the hour, it'll be our St. Albert Dodge game of the day. And we are going to focus on the Calgary Flames, Florida Panthers tilt tonight. Uh, also, Jenna Ortiz from Arizona Central. We'll uh, check in and discuss the Arizona Coyotes, among other things, uh, what's going on in the desert. Before that, time now for a Sports 1440 update brought to you by Snow Valley Ski Club. It is now open for the season. Be sure to support your local ski and snowboard shop, then get ready to ride the valley. Visit snowvalley.ca today. Here is the do.